Well, we're a little late in doing our Q1 recap. I don't know what my deal is. I haven't been as hungry, I guess the word is, to do as many bonus, as much bonus material this time, like uh, deep dives and things like that. I think ever since, I felt like I did a lot last year and it kind of, I got a little bit burnt out by it. But every weekend, I think so far this week or this month, you or I, mostly me, have had stuff going on, and we just haven't had time to record our recap until now. But we finally made it. Yep. How you been? Oh, busy. You know, for somebody that's been at work for five months, basically, I'm almost busier now at the moment <laughs> than I am at working. Right. Right. Oh, man. Man. Your parents, especially your dad, I mean, he's so active and on top of things. He, You guys have a lot of projects that you do together and stuff like that. You're always kind of running errands. Yep. And right now I'm I'm taking over the, being the landlord for their, for their apartment. So, mm-hmm. so I'm doing that too. So I've been in, I've been in repairing floor. I've been in just making sure everything's spruced up. Painting the shed, doing the floor in the shed. Oh, that was a good one. Uh, I wanted to put polyurethane paint down on the shed floor to to protect the wood. Uh huh. And so I go in and I do some research to to make sure. And I put I, I put in anti-slip or non-slip uh, polyurethane paint for wood. Uh huh. And a whole and a few things come up. And so I pick one. I order it. It arrives and I paint it on, and it's as smooth as glass. <laughs> <laughs> like no, no, I didn't want that. I wanted non-slip. Right. <laughs> and so then I'm like, I've got to find something to put on top of that because I can't have somebody in the place going out to the shed to get something slipping and breaking, you know, injuring themselves and having a problem that yeah. that would just not be cool yeah. and so found some some more some other stuff to spray on top of that and it, it's done 
done the job. It makes it feel kind of rough, but still able to protect the floor. So. Yeah. Right on. And we don't have to get into the details. We'll save them for next time. But by the when we record our next recap, you should have a very interesting new job to talk about. So that's exciting. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's, it's looking good, but let's make let's hope it is. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to jinx it. Um, no. Speaking of work, I'll uh, I'll uh, so I got some really good news uh, recently. So as everyone knows, I think I'm in sales with a big software company, and um, I've been doing this kind of work off and on for about seventeen years or something like that, and. Um, I've always done really well, but if you are like cream of the crop of the sales team, sales group, at the end of every fiscal year, your company, if it's large enough, will often pay, like give you an all expense paid trip to some exotic place as it's called like President's Club or Diamond Club or something like that. And it's for like the tippy top salespeople. And uh, I found out that I qualified to go on this trip because of my last fiscal year, which was a real shock to me because I didn't think I did that well. I thought I did okay, but I didn't think it was that well. So they're taking Farah and I to Bali at the end of September. Oh, nice. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That For a is week. awesome. Yeah. All expenses paid. And, uh, it's just, I've never qualified for one of these things before. I've gotten close, and I'm an inside rep, and usually these bonuses go to outside reps, so I don't ever get to uh, take full advantage, but I, I won this time. It's crazy. So at the end of September, early October, Fair and I are going to Bali for a week on their dime. The only bummer about these things is you're, you go on these with coworkers. You know, It's a bunch of people from work. So I'm just imagining nights of, you know, kind of sitting in the hot tub there at the resort with my boss and like his wife, and we're talking about software or something. And that just doesn't, I just would rather be able to go off and do my own thing and not have to socialize with my coworkers the whole time. But, you know, whatever. I've actually never even met my coworkers because I started this job. I've been there almost a year. Next, uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll be a year. I started after quarantine. So I've never oh, been to my office. I've never met my coworkers, but um, I really love the job and I really love the people I work with so far. At least they're nice over Zoom. So yeah, Bali in September. Can you believe that? That's awesome. Well, yeah. if it is all your coworkers that sat, sat there with you and stuff like that, then you've, you've got music to talk, talk about and you can get them listening to the show. That's true. A lot of them know that um, that I do the, most of them, almost all, I think all of them know that I do the podcast and some of them listen to the episodes that interest them, and I'll tell them who I'm interviewing sometimes, and it's fun. Yeah, that, that's what's that's what's coming down the pike, and um, uh, and I'm the only person on my team that qualified to go, which is just shocking to me. So anyway, that's I'm looking forward to that. And um, in a couple of weeks, the 10th of May, we're going on a family trip to Hawaii again. I think everyone pretty much knows we, our family, that's kind of our spot. So we go to Hawaii usually about every other year, but we just went last February. And now we're going in a couple of weeks. My in-laws are coming and uh, 
our a family that's like our best friends. So my wife and her best friend Jordan grew up together and have been best friends since they were in like seventh grade or something. And oh, okay. Yes, and they have her husband Tim is a good buddy of mine, and their kids and our kids are like best friends, and so. Uh, they live down the street, so we see we hang out with them all the time. It's like cousins, basically. They're oh, coming, cool. and their in-laws are coming too. So it's kind of like these two families coming together um, to hang out on the North Shore of Oahu for a week. It's going to be great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. If if yeah. you get some time, you go go and see Bob. Bob Rock. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'll just pop over to Bob's. I should email him before I leave. <laughs> I don't know if he would hang out with me. Some of our guests would hang out. I don't know if he would. But uh yeah, that'd be wild, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, very cool. So that's what's coming up for me. I mean, a lot of fun stuff, I guess. Which is nice. It's a nice uh and I should say in case anyone's thinking how can you how dare you travel during quarantine and stuff? I I we understand that. The tickets we bought the tickets like six months ago, and they were dirt cheap, dirt cheap, and we couldn't pass it up. And our thinking was, this was back in December, we'll buy them now, and if restrictions have lifted, we'll go. And if they're not, then we just won't. It's not a big deal. We'll just, we wanted to make sure we took advantage of super dirt cheap tickets. And thankfully, travel is kind of loosening up a bit. I think as long as you're wearing your mask on the plane and everything, you're okay. So, and we've been, Fair and I have been vaccinated. What's your story on getting vaccinated, Jan? Uh, so I've had the first shot and I'm just waiting on the second shot. So over here, in a bid to try and get as many people the first shot as possible, they lengthened the time between the first shot and the second shot. And so if you get the AstraZeneca one, it's 12 weeks. Mm. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. Over here, it's two. Yeah. So, so like, Nicholas has already been vaccinated both shots. Mm. And I'm still waiting for my second one. I got the AstraZeneca, which... Okay. Uh, I would... I mean, I'll take it. I'm happy to get it. I would have preferred either the Pfizer or Moderna because those work better. We got Johnson & Johnson, which we were glad about. We had signed up for a different one, uh, more like the... I think it might have been Pfizer. Or I'm not sure. But whatever one it was, it was going to be a shot. And then two weeks later, another shot. And it would have been it would have bumped up really closely to the trip to Hawaii. And we didn't want any problems, like if you had to quarantine or if something popped up or whatever. So Farah found out about a the possibility of getting a Johnson Johnson shot, which is just the one. But it was like an hour away. So two weeks ago, we both just drove up to Loveland, Colorado, and okay. got John, Johnson & Johnson shots so that we could get it all done and not worry about it before we went to Hawaii. So anyway, yeah, it's uh, hopefully we're slowly getting out of the, the woods on all this. Anything else in the last three months this year that you want to talk about? I didn't have a ton. Uh, I, I just had constant, constant stuff going on. Like just nonstop. <laughs> uh, I know. I think I've been, um, like I said, I think I've been busier not working than I have been when I was working. Absolutely. And right. it's just been, oh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. I bet. Um, as far as uh, our situation, I mean, yeah, my things with my dad are, uh, you know, coming to terms with that still. There's good days and bad days. My mom, I think, has decided that she's going to stay put. And uh, we had thought originally that because she lives, she and my dad lived in southern Utah down in a city called St. George. And um, all of the rest of the family is up closer to Salt Lake City. We thought after he died that she would move up to Salt Lake City to be closer to everybody, but she's decided for now anyway that I think she's going to stay put where she is. So I've been down there to see her a couple of times and uh, help her kind of get the house organized, clean out some things. But anyway, it's uh, we're all kind of moving along, trying to... It's, so is your mom still working? She works a couple of days a week. So she, my mom was the assistant to the president of Dixie College, uh, or Dixie State University, I should say, in St. George for 20-something years. And she retired a couple of years ago. And But then they kept wanting her to come back. And like, will you come back just as an admin, or will you come back to help us with this project or that project? And then another school, uh, the, someone who had been the president of Dixie went to be the president of a different school, wanted her to come work for him. So she's never really left. And now she's fine. She just goes in a couple of days a week and like helps answer phones, help files, helps file things. And that's kind of keeping her busy. I mean, she's, what is she now? 75. So it's just something for her to do, stay connected to her friends, stay busy. Yeah, and that, that'll probably help her out. Yeah, yeah. That plus all the, you know, the health insurance and a lot of people people have been sending us articles. You can get reimbursed for funeral fees if it was because of COVID uh, here in the States. And she, I believe, is taking advantage of that. So anyway, we're still working through it. But she's doing she's doing great for her. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so a couple other short things of business. I, I always forget to mention that we're a part of the Pantheon podcast network now. I still don't exactly know entirely what that means. I know that we're on their their webpage. They retweet a lot of our episodes. I always forget to mention it in our episodes, and I that's on me. I feel guilty about that. So I need to fall into the habit of mentioning that at the intro and outro of all of our regular episodes and probably tweeting at them when I release something. But anyway... We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Um, our buddy Brad Page with I'm In Love With That Song is on there. The Decibel Geek guys are on there. Um, I think BJ, when he comes back with his Rock and or Roll podcast, will be on there. Um, they just seem to be kind of gobbling up more and more podcasts to be a part of it all. So I don't oh, really know cool. what it means other than being part of kind of a cool network, but uh, I just wanted to let everyone know. That's cool. And I'm... Um... I've not had much time to get to much of anything just because of stuff going on, but uh, things are improving a little bit. So expect Good. to see us on Pantheon's site first soon. Yes. Yeah, eventually I think we have to move off of Podbean and on to Megaphone. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And so Maybe I'm, we do both or something. I'm not sure exactly. So we've, we've got... We've got stuff on both at the moment, and I'm moving. 
like I said, I've, I've been short on time to do much of anything the last uh, couple of months. It's okay. Uh, so, uh, but but I'm getting back into it. So I would I would expect within the next few weeks, couple of weeks maybe we'll have everything on on megaphone, and then I'll be starting posting the links to to megaphone instead of Podbean. Yeah, um, one of these times, Jan will fill everyone in about everything that's going on. There's a reason why you're so busy, and uh, we'll get into it in another time. I also wanted to just give a quick thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Um, those numbers fluctuate. I never know exactly why. It's, I'm sure it's probably sometimes people have the money or want to contribute, and sometimes they don't, and I don't blame you. But uh, just so everyone knows, Tier 1 is a $2 a month uh contribution, and that puts you in the running to win any and all swag we ever get. In fact, I have not heard back from the Stan Bush CD winner. It is, I forgot, who is it? It is uh, Martin. No, 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 no. Mark. Mark Goddard. Sorry, Mark Goddard, you won the Stan Bush CD, and I messaged you for your address, and I haven't heard back. So let us know who, uh, send me an address so we can mail, I can mail you the CD. Otherwise, the, five, the second tier is $5 a month, and with that, I keep you posted of all the interviews I'm doing, and you are allowed to submit questions that I try, if it makes sense, to work them into my interviews. So thanks for anyone and everyone who contributes to that. It means a lot. It, um, it just helps. It helps to offset the cost of mailing gifts, of paying for hosting sites, of everything else, that kind of stuff. So thank you. And then lastly, all of our Amazon stuff is still out there, too. I don't think anyone's bought a T-shirt in a long time, but if you wanted to, if you want to contribute, please go on there and do it. Um, you can, I think you just go onto Amazon and type in the Hustle Podcast merch, and there's shirts and sweatshirts and pop sockets and maybe other things, too. I'm not sure. But that's all there. Anything okay. else you can think of? No. Nope. All right, so we're going to recap the last three months. As we always do, the first three months of 2021, I think they've all been really, really good. It, I got to be honest, it gives me a real rush when people comment on our posts or something and say, you know, you guys are on fire or you're on a run or these are great. I love that kind of feedback. It means a lot to me because I'm always worried if we're doing well enough, if we're hitting the right spot, if we're entertaining people, informing people, pleasing people. And so good feedback makes me feel like we're doing okay. So the first episode of the year was with Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction, and this one entirely is a big thanks to our listener, Brian Morris. Brian met Stephen, if I understand correctly, at a drum clinic or like a rock uh, um, school of rock or a rock and roll fantasy camp kind of thing a few years ago. And bless his heart, met Brian mentioned us to Stephen, and Stephen gave him his email address to give to me, and it was it took like two and a half years to make that interview finally happen. Um, one of the things that I thought was so interesting about that interview is what a positive, optimistic person Stephen is compared to what a dark, kind of sinister, druggy band Jane's Addiction seemed to be, at least at first. You know, and um, 
that dichotomy to me, maybe that's, um, maybe he's been out of the darkness and is into the light. Maybe that's just his philosophy on life. You can have both going on at once. I don't know. I really just thought it would be interesting. I was imagining something a little more almost depressive or sinister or whatever, but he was such a positive force, such a positive, uplifting guy. And um, I, I can't deny, they're one of the bigger bands we've ever featured on here. And every time I see a picture of Jane's Addiction or I hear a song, and I just think, we know him. He's been on our show. We know that guy. It's crazy to me. Oh, that was, he really did have a really positive attitude. And the music for that is so good. Yeah. Even though, like you say, to start out with, they seem like a kind of like a druggy band. Yeah. But they definitely have a have a place. Whether that's the rock hall, I don't know, but definitely uh, worth a listen if folks haven't listened to it, and the music's worth a buy. Yeah. If you don't have any. Sure. Especially those first two albums are great. Yeah, I don't know. They could, they get brought up as possible rock hall contenders a lot. I um, On the one hand, I find it difficult to put a band in there that really, when we talk about Jane's Addiction, we're only talking about two albums. But we're really only talking about two Nirvana albums. You know? I mean, that's a lot of bands where that's all it was. And my personal opinion, as I said before... Jane's Addiction and the Pixies are the gateway from 80s rock to 90s rock. They were doing not what became popular in the 90s. They were doing that in the 80s. And the bands that took their cues from what those guys were doing set the tone for what the 90s sound was. And so for that, just based on influence alone, they probably deserve to be in there. But uh, anyway, speaking of influence, the second guest this this year was... James Williamson of the Stooges. So I'm going to tell a little story about this. Um, I didn't personally, I purposely didn't mention this to him or want to say it on our episode because I didn't want to make him mad. So, like five years ago, I emailed James on Facebook. And in my email, I was, I guess, being a little too casual and I called him Jim because I know that, like, for instance, Iggy Pop's real name is Jim Osterberg. And, or James, and he goes by Jim. So I just assumed going casual with the Jim versus the James was fine. And I messaged James, Jim, James, and said, Hey, Jim, you know, we do this podcast. I'd love to have you on. You have such an interesting story. And he wrote back something, something to the effect of, I would never talk to anyone who doesn't know me well enough to know that my name is James, not Jim. And uh, I was like, Whoa. Okay, well, forgive me. I we've never. Of course, I didn't know that you didn't like to go by Jim. I will never call you Jim again. I'm really sorry, but I. Uh, that's what happened, and so that put that kind of wiped James Williamson off the possibility list for a long time. But when his PR people came to you know reached out and said, "Are you interested?" I was like, "Not only am I interested, I love the Stooges. He's a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. I love his solo stuff, but I just." I just won't tell him about the email exchange <laughs> we had forever ago. <laughs> he probably didn't remember either. Right, right. I almost mentioned it just as a way to kind of bond, you know, but I thought, let's not. I don't want to set him off. I don't want another Richard Lloyd situation here. 
<laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. So anyway, that was a uh, you know he was uh, I, he was slightly uh, cold. He was nice. He's not the warmest, but the music is pretty unpenetrable. You can't go wrong with the Stooges. And I legitimately love his solo work. So I was happy to shine a light on that because it deserves to be heard. He's great. Yeah, absolutely. That that solo stuff was really good. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I had asked his people to send some email or some CDs that I could send out to you guys, but they only sent one, so I kept it for myself. Sorry, everybody. Um, next up was <laughs> Iva from Ice House. Uh, this one was another one that meant a lot to me. I'd been trying to get Iva on here for a lot, for many years. It finally worked out. I don't, I don't even quite know what to say other than I was really happy with the way that it turned out. And the response it got was even more positive than I thought. I, as I've said before, I'm often the worst critic of these episodes because I think about the times when I was zoning off. I was thinking about the stories that didn't matter that much to me. I think about the questions that I really wanted to ask that we didn't get to. I think about the kind of conversation I wanted to have and didn't. And so I'm the worst judge of whether something is good or not, because if it's not what I had in mind ahead of time, sometimes I'm disappointed. Um, this one was not necessarily like that, but I wondered if it was going to be enough for the, for the fans and people, casual listeners to enjoy. But people seem to love this episode. And it's, I think, it might be our... I think it's been bumped down to our third most popular episode of the year so far. It really took off. Oh, it was particularly good. I, I really loved the music from this one. And so it's gone on my list to, to pick up as soon as I can. Yeah. He was such and, a gentleman. And I was really um, so, like, just classy and charming. One of the things I wanted to mention is that so I heard from so so many of you that wanted to know more information about his Berlin album, the uh, covers album that he does with the um, string quartet or whatever that are of like 80s alternative songs. That's one of my favorite albums ever, but it's really hard to find. And um, so you'd probably have to stream it. Or if you did find it on like CD, I have no idea if it's on vinyl, probably not. If it was on CD, you might have to pay like import pricing for it. But uh, check it out if you can. I, um, I still remember I was in a used CD store in St. George, Utah, around the maybe early 2000s, late 90s. And um, I saw it in there, and I had never heard of it before. I didn't know what it was. It looked interesting, and I knew who Iva was. But I didn't know what this album was. Uh, this was really kind of before every last thing was on the internet and smartphones and all this kind of stuff. And so I didn't buy it, because, and it was only like $7.99. And I thought, I don't exactly even know what this is, so I'm not going to buy it. And I've regretted that ever since that happened. Because I've never seen it out in the wild again. It's really rare. But anyway, great album, great guy. I'm really glad that one happened. So if you can even find it and you're talking import, stuff it's probably significantly more than 7.99 now oh yeah yes that's why i'm kicking myself i could i mean i 
that's the dream I think of most collectors, music collectors, whether it's vinyl or whatever, is finding that album you've always wanted, just sitting there in a store, and and you know how important it is and how valuable it is, but no one else seems to know. That's the best feeling in the world, and I didn't know then what I know now, and if I had, I would have bought it, and I've always regretted it. Um, okay, next up is Hugh Gower from The Records. So this one was tricky, and this is another one that you saved, Yan. This one had been sitting around, unfortunately, for almost a year. I did it um, last March or April, I want to say, of 2020. I think I'd mentioned when we put out the Victor DiLorenzo from Violent Femmes episode last year that I had done these uh, two interviews on back-to-back Fridays shortly after the pandemic happened. And the they were both on Skype, and they were both horribly, horribly glitchy. Um, like the Victor DiLorenzo one. About every, if you can imagine, about every two minutes, the sound dropping out for about 30 seconds and then coming back in. Oftentimes there's a delay and many, many times over the course of the conversation, it's Skype picking up frequencies from other conversations that are going on on Skype. So you're hearing people talking like sound waves from another another planet or something in coming into your, uh, into your headphones. You can hear it. That's what's happened with Victor and with Hugh. And, the Victor one, I mean, you had that as your episode of the year last year because of how hard it was to fix that thing, right, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, it was It was a significant amount of work. <laughs> yeah. And Hugh right. was cut from the same cloth, but you did it. Yeah, I actually really thought that turned out particularly good. I mean, but it then did. I'm sitting there coming from, I know what it, you know, if you listen to the raw audio, it's... Uh, I want to say horrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it is. That was a rough one. And um, there's a story for this one, too. So I've mentioned before on here, we, I, again, haven't heard from Paul Underwood, our friend, who um, has been on the show, did some production work for us, good friend for a couple of years there. I haven't talked to him in a really long time. I've explained why that might be in other, in other episodes. You can go back and listen. But anyway, we never had a falling out so much as he just sort of disappeared. And I think it was all because we uh, have different political views. So a couple of years ago, when we were still really good buddies, it was Paul who asked specifically for Hugh to come on the show. Paul even sent me their Greatest Hits CD as a gift to, like, whet my appetite. And so I reached out to Hugh and uh, this was all meant to like, as like a gift or a thank you for Paul. I mean, I, I love the records too, but what motivated the need for all of it was Paul loving them and wanting me to talk to them and he, Paul and I doing the episode together. And then I did it and it was so horrible technically that I wasn't even sure we would ever put it out. And then Paul kind of cut me out of his life. So that's one of the, another one of the reasons why it uh, had just been sitting around forever. I didn't know whether Paul would ever come back to be our friend again. I didn't know if it could be fixed. I didn't know, so it just sort of sat on the shelf. And we were, but we were finally able to get it out. 
most people wouldn't know <laughs> that no. there was an issue with it. Big time. No, you fixed that one. Oh, I'm, that's it's amazing to me what you can do, Yan. We're we're not talking about it in this episode, but the John Waite episode was not nowhere near as bad as these two are. But it was also kind of glitchy there for a while. And you clean all that up as if it never happened. It's amazing work what you do. I'm so glad we get to do this together. That's good fun. I love it. Yeah. Um, okay, so for our special 300th episode, I went with Aldo Nova. Um, I wasn't exactly sure. I wanted to use Iva, but I felt guilty hanging on to such a great interview for too long. And so, and then I was debating between who was the cooler name, Aldo or Wayne Hussey from The Mission. And as much as I'm a, I love both their music, but The Mission obviously is kind of more in my sweet spot. I thought, I, I don't know if Wayne is as cool a, a guest or sexy a guest as Aldo would be. So I made the decision to make Aldo be our 300th episode. And it worked out. That episode is one of our biggest of the year as well. Um, I like the guy a lot. He seemed a little fried. Like, um, like maybe he had done too many drugs or something back in the day. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, not, I don't, not all there is the wrong way of saying it. Fried, that's the best way I can think of to describe it. Seems a little fried, but a really nice guy, and his music is still really strong. I do think it's shocking that he writes for people like Celine Dion and, um, you know, soft ballady type people, but that just speaks to how talented he is and uh, flexible he can be as a songwriter. So, I anyway, I was really glad I that think one. that's great. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, Celine Dion's like a, it doesn't matter what other people think of her music and stuff, she's a huge name. Yeah, she is. And, I mean, he's got a Grammy to show for it. We, nobody has to do one thing their entire career. It speaks to how popular and how talented he is. Also, one other thing about this is um, I was supposed to have Aldo on probably two years ago, and his... PR person, I was going back and forth with her, setting it up, and at the last minute, she canceled because we weren't as popular as Eddie Trunk. And he was going to do the Eddie Trunk podcast, and so she didn't feel like, she felt like he would be slumming it, talking to us. Oh, big, big hairy deal. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And when I told him that, he was he was like, oh, she was terrible. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that was the uh, Aldo Nova story. Okay, and then Wayne Hussey from The Mission. Um, obviously, that was a big one. I, I still, the weekend that I came out and spent with you, what was that, three and a half years ago or so now, Yan was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And that concert, The Tubes. The Mission and Alice Cooper was one of the best concerts I've ever been to in my life. And um, I just was so glad that we were able to get Wayne on the show to let oh, him know that, yeah. you know. And that was interesting, you know, that he, he'd he spent time in Leeds. I actually really loved Leeds. It Did was you? a great place to be. I wasn't so keen on Bradford, but the people there were nice. The, the, the city was a bit grungy, but... Uh, you know, old, 
Milltown almost. And uh, and one of the landlords I had in one place was from from Kashmir, and he had he had us to dinner. The food was the best. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I really met some some great people and. One place I was at, all four of us could carry a tune and and pick apart. And so we, you know, they had uh, they had a phone that they could call out on pretty easily. So that we just pick up, <laughs> we'd practice something, pick up the phone, call another apartment, sing on their answering machine without announcing who we were, and then hang up. Love it. And then. This transpires into where we're singing at a mission conference with a with a, one of the seventies in, in attendance. Mm. That's great. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Yan went on his Mormon mission to Leeds, England. I went on my Mormon mission to Mich- Lansing, Michigan. So neither of us went to like the sexiest places in the world, but they were great for us and for what we did. You know. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I could have, I worried, I mean, obviously, Wayne, I could have just talked with Wayne about Mormon stuff the whole time, but that probably wouldn't have been interesting to anybody. So I, want, I had to get some of that in there. My thinking is always whenever Mark Maron has another Jew, on, or Gilbert Gottfried has another Jew on the podcast, they talk a lot about that. So why can't I talk about Mormon stuff with Mormon people coming on the show? So that's, uh, anyway, I could have kept going in there. That one got a lot of good feedback. I think people really liked it. Um, that was one of those where people, so let me, let me explain. This may come up a little bit later too in the Q&A part, but um, when I first started the podcast, especially with the focus being on the more obscure artists, my feeling was, well, they're obscure and I love them. So I should be able to give the definitive interview on, of this artist so that everything you would ever want to know about this artist was answered or covered in this interview. And, but the longer we've been going and the bigger some of our guests have been, I've had to sort of let go of that. And so um, the downside of that, though, is when you have someone who millions of people love, like Wayne, on the show, you hear from fans who are like, oh, I wish you could have dw- spent more time on this album or asked him about this topic or whatever deep, nerdy thing. And I think, yeah, me too, you know? But it just is getting harder and harder to give these people the all-encompassing, definitive interview that I was shooting for in the beginning. Now I just have to hope that, you know, there's a million John Wade interviews out there right now because he's promoting his new new album. Uh, Many of them are with friends of ours, like Mike Wiles and Pat Francis. And so I just have to hope that our angle, where, where I took John Wade, is interesting and unique enough that if you're if you're only going to listen to one maybe it's ours or if you listen to more than one maybe we gave you something that you didn't already know and you're not getting in all the other interviews that he's doing right now that's my hope every time yeah well that's, i thought wayne was an excellent interview it really was it just yeah. you i'm sure you could have gone on for hours with him because they they have some great great music yeah yeah they do, and I want to put it in a plug here. Um, our friend Michael is the front, is the kind of main artistic leader of a group called Beauty and Chaos. Uh, both Wayne mentioned it and Tim Palmer mentioned it when he was on late last year, because they it's this 
it's like a super group. Michael is sort of the main guy, but he, and it's sort of gothy uh, alt rock in the, in the spirit of the mission or the cure and that kind of thing. But the, he, I don't know how he does it. He manages to bring in people like Wayne, Robin Zander from Cheap Trick has sang on some of these, Al Jorgensen from Ministry. He's managed to get these all-star people to come in and perform on these albums. So the Beauty and Chaos is more of like a collective of le- legacy artists that we love than it is you know, one guy, one vision. I might bring Michael on to talk about these albums because there's enough going on there about classic artists that we love participating in this project that I want to know more about. So there might be a Beauty and Chaos episode down the pike somewhere. But anyway, check those things out if you want. If you like the mission and the cure and the kind of doomy goth rock stuff, uh, Sisters of Mercy and everything, check out Beauty and Chaos. I think you'll like it. Um, okay, next up was Arthur Brown, the god of Hellfire. I, I had been trying. He's another one. I've been trying to get him on for years. I've emailed his website so many times and never heard back. And um, then when... Uh, I got an email from his PR folks, and I was like, yes, that is exa- I have been wanting to hear that story for so long. Who in the world thinks up putting fire on their head, calling themselves the god of hellfire, and uh, having, to, having to do that the rest of their career, you know? And to find out that the god of hellfire is this really sweet, humble, funny, gentle old man is just shocking to me but uh i was really glad that we gave that that we told his story and um an artist that i really love who quite a bit he's a he's a good name big name fairly big name is coming on the show uh in the next few weeks because he listened to the arthur brown episode and liked it so much so that's a good thing and then lastly i thought some of his stories were so funny especially about him painting houses uh, with Jimmy from the Mothers of Invention, and um, just imagining, <laughs> that was so you know, when he's like, the people who own this house have no idea who's painting it right now, you know? Yeah. Oh, that was so good. And the story about the the origins of the the, the helmet was amazing. That was hilarious. Yeah. His uh, his post um, fire music is really out there it's not my jam at all it's a lot more frank zappa and captain Beefheart and stuff like that but i admire the balls it takes to be that creative so i'm really glad we were able to feature arthur brown on here because that's yeah. a story i've been wanting to tell for a long time uh, he's, a total, he's a total character and i don't probably not so much here but someone else it's not the it wasn't the guest that I was just talking about, or maybe it was somebody we had on the show recently. Maybe it was Phil Brown was saying how much they have always loved Arthur, and that in the UK anyway, um, Arthur is starting to sort of get a lot of credit that he may have never gotten before, but was always deserved. And so I like that when people's profiles get bigger and higher uh, when they deserve it. You know, people maybe weren't paying attention to Arthur Brown. For decades, but now this generation is saying, you know, who was really interesting was Mar- Arthur Brown, and so they get that kind of attention. I really like that. Yeah, and that I mean, I don't know how much you watched of it, but the vi- the video for his House of the Rising Sun charity release was awesome. 
It was. And um, that was, uh, so back to back, I think it was uh, people with charity releases. The Tower of Strength 2000 that Wayne did with Tim Palmer and others is mind-blowingly beautiful and incredible. It'll make you cry, the video. Arthur's that he did with, like Tony Butler from Big Country plays on that, a couple other people that I can't remember off the top of my head, is also fantastic. And um, so if you're in a position to pay the 99 cents or dollar twenty nine or whatever it is to buy those songs off iTunes to contribute to a good cause, please do. It's worth it. I'll second that. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Uh, next up is Bill Schnee. Bill is a legendary producer. I was really glad. So get this. I, he, he alluded to this in the interview. I interviewed, I, excuse me. I emailed Bill two and a half years ago, maybe. And said, you know, I'd love to have you on the show. And he replied and said, I'm writing my book right now. And why don't we wait until I'm done? Now, people say that sometimes and they you never hear from them again. You know, that's usually a polite brush off. But he and it's he did. He emailed me back uh, early this year, I think it was, and said, John, I promised that I would get back to you when I finished my book. It's coming out. Can we do an interview? And uh, I was just shocked by that. Shocked that he would do that. And um, so many fantastic stories. He was such an architect of that specific sound, that kind of soft rock, yacht rock, whatever sound of L.A. in the late 70s into the early 80s. Steely Dan, uh, Pablo Cruz, these kinds of bands. He was the architect of all that. And I haven't read his book yet. He emailed it to me, so I have like a digital copy of it. Um, it's coming up on my to-do list, but I can't wait because that guy, those stories were just... Yeah. Oh, he, he was so good. And it, it's awesome that he followed through with with what he promised. You know, yeah. like, like you said, you don't often get that. No. No, and uh, so it was a real honor. I felt a little guilty because he um, he said, you know, I'm trying to do as many podcasts as I can. And I said, well, guess what? I know tons of podcasters. Um, I could hook you up with all kinds. And he said, okay, but I want them to be big. You know, I, I want to, and he's reading off other podcasts he's done and what the listenership was. And it was, they were all big and they were way bigger than ours even. And I'm feeling really guilty all of a sudden that, uh-oh, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that, you know, I'm not as big as some. Um, and uh, so I I ultimately didn't end up really... Ho I did introduce him to the Inside Music Cast people um, because that's just exactly his target audience. I don't know if they ever did anything. I hope they did. But um, otherwise, I don't know... <clears throat> I couldn't think of too many people to connect him with because I don't know too many people whose podcasts are that big or that much bigger than ours or whatever. So anyway, if you have a podcast out there and you've got tens of thousands of listeners and you want to talk to Bill Schnee, tell me and I'll put you in contact with Bill Schnee. Um, real quick, uh, the Tris Inbudin deep dive of the Kenny Loggins album. That was a, that was a really great one too. Tris was such a nice guy. He's, I'm so grateful that he gives us his time. I have been trying to get Kenny Loggins on here for years one of our listeners, I blank on the name, but a few years years ago, contacted me and said, "I 
am friends with the guy who plays with Kenny, I can get you Kenny. Please do. And But then it never happened, and I don't think I ever heard from the guy again. So this was my way of talking about Kenny without Kenny being present, because I, I don't know how else to do it. Um, there were some technical issues with this one. There was a heavy, heavy echo on the whole thing, and it was my fault. And uh, so we sent that one off to Aaron Syrett to fix it, which he did, and sent it back to you, and then you put it together. So we owe Aaron big time for that one. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. I cannot thank you enough for doing that one for me. That was at uh, a time when I was most busy. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. So I'm glad we finally got that one out. Uh, next up was Jack Grisham of TSOL. This one is, this one was nuts. I, it didn't get as many downloads as some of our others, which I take to mean that people aren't into hardcore punk or don't know who he is. But I am here to tell you folks that Jack Grisham is one of the great personalities in all of rock, especially punk rock. The stories, his views on life, his perspective, the man is so entertaining, so much fun. I love him. And I was so glad that we got this episode out there. There's no one like Jack. So if you skip this one because you think, I don't know who that is, I don't, I'm not a guy, doesn't sound interesting to me, trust me on this one, go check this one out. It's a good one. Yeah, oh, he really was a, a good interview and he, he had so many good, interesting things to tell us. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. People really need to go check this one out. If you if you haven't, it's, it's worth your time to listen. I agree. Uh, he never shared it to my knowledge, and I even emailed him about a month later and said, hey, share it, please. He said, oh, I'm, I will. Send me the link. And I did, and he still didn't do it. And I, I don't think it's, I think he just gets, I think he forgets. So um, anyway, I wish he would, because I think his fans would love it, but. Whatever. Um, next up is Might Phil have Brown. To get Mr. Oh. Uh, What's Mr. that? Mr. Andy on that one. Say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Andy Shaw. Help us out here, buddy. Andy Shaw is uh, the master at uh, making sure we get in front of the right people and the right groups on Facebook and stuff. Thank you, Andy, for all your help. Um, Andy was in town recently, by the way. I, he and I went to dinner. He passes through Colorado periodically to uh, uh, purchase some things that are easier to get in Colorado than they are in Minnesota, where he lives. And <laughs> so whenever he comes down, we, we grab dinner. It was great. Uh, <laughs> I, anyway. I can't imagine what that would be. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. <laughs> um, so anyway, good to, always good to see you, Andy. Phil Brown, uh, this was one of my favorite ones ever, which is probably why it was close to three hours long. Um, the book, by the way, is fantastic. And so each artist is basically, or album that he worked on is basically its own chapter. So it was really easy to break down. I'm just taking notes as I'm reading. And uh, then we kind of recreated those stories on the podcast. I skipped over some that were of people that I didn't know that much about or have a lot to um, say about like Murray Head was a big deal for Phil Dana Gillespie uh, who I'm thinking about getting on the show because she shows up on a lot of David Bowie documentaries but um, it was just you know you throw out a name like Robert Palmer and Phil can fill you in on everything that they did together and the talk talk stories and everything else were just in 
incredible. And his, I love people that have strong opinions and him not liking, what was it? Phil Collins, Paul McCartney. Um, yeah. Was it John Entwistle? Was that the bassist? I can't remember who the bassist was. And uh, the producer, Chris Hughes. It's just, I love when people get opinionated and say hot takes like that. I love it. Bill was great. I actually think there was, you know, there was enough that you could have covered elsewhere that he's maybe worth a part too. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. If nothing else, at least a uh, deep dive on one of those albums, whether it's one of the Talk Talk albums or those early Robert Palmer or Steve Winwood traffic or whatever i i agree with you i think he is ripe for the picking for a really good deep dive one of these days that one's also one of our more popular episodes this year which brings us to our number one most popular episode of the year and that is will Sargent from echo and the bunnymen uh getting will on here is one of my proudest moments so i story is like a lot of others. I have emailed the Echo and the Bunnymen website a dozen times over the six years that I've been doing this. And to me, the interesting story was always going to be Will, because Ian look, is, uh, you know, one of the best frontman ever. And he's great because he's so arrogant and um, prickly and all the things you want a good frontman to be. No one ever hears from Will. I had never, I didn't know what his speaking voice sounded like. I didn't know, I'd never, I rarely ever even read him quoted in articles. And so I thought, that's the guy I want to talk to. I want to shed a light on Will. And my assumption was that because Ian is so prickly, Will must be too. They've worked together all this time. They're probably just in their little egomaniacal black bubble somewhere being rock stars. So I had started stalking Will on Twitter as soon as he joined. This is something I hate doing, by the way. Hate it. Because I feel so naked. I feel like the world can see me begging someone to come on our show. Even though I've been able to get some really good guests through this. Um, many of which are coming up, actually. But I, I don't like stooping to that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But I did it for Will, and he agreed. And um, now, we didn't even... So two things. Number one, I think as everyone noticed, his personality was entirely different than I thought it was going to be. He was a humble, unassuming, self-effacing um, guy. He and Ian, it sounds like, barely have a relationship anymore. He's basically an employee, a hired hand. I don't know how much they collaborate on anything anymore, and uh, which is really sad because Will's one of the greatest guitarists in rock history and um he seems sad by that too and i was not prepared for all of this for him to be so different from what i thought and he didn't even mention that he has a book coming out uh, a couple weeks after our episode came out he announced that he was putting out a book and uh, i started hearing from all of these all of you like did you know about this how come he didn't say the book and i said i don't know i even emailed him and he said yeah i wasn't ready to tell you about it yet so now he's being bombarded with people wanting to bring him on their podcast and talk to him and i'm really glad that we got him just before that wave crested you know 
And so I'm really, I'm, that's one of my proudest moments is having, getting Will to come on the show. Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen were huge when I was younger. You know, my, yeah. in my early teens, they were big, big time. And so it's, it was really good to get him on because it's good to get his his perspective on stuff instead of Ian's, to my mind. Me too. This is one of the reasons, guys, why I don't always go after the front person or the main person or whatever. Can you imagine if Ian had come on the show, do you think we would have learned any of that about their working dynamic or about what Will's personality is like or what it's like being an Echo and the Bunnymen today? I don't think we would have. Will is the, or Ian is the face of the band. Anytime you've, you're the face of a band, you've got to keep up a facade. You know, you've got to keep an image alive. It's the people behind that that aren't carrying that responsibility who can, te- who can shed all the real light and color on what's going on in these bands and in these situations. That's why I thought Will was so important to bring on the show. And we did it. I'm, it's, I'm so proud of that episode. I'm not even saying it's the best interview in the world, but it was for historical purposes and references. I thought it was pretty outstanding. I was happy with it. Well, I thought it actually turned out pretty good, anyway. But yeah. You know, but uh, but you know, but you know what I'm going to do with with something you send me. So <laughs> that's very true. Very true. You have a way of making everything sound even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, it turned out great. Um, I mean, okay. It, it happens. I mean, it happens with. A lot. You'll you'll send yeah. me and you'll say this one doesn't need much, <laughs> and then I just ah well no no let's take that one and it, and it, I spend more time on it than it it may have needed, yes. but it sounds great. Yes, that's it. Or I'll say uh, I don't think this one can even be fixed. It's so bad, and sure enough, you fix it and it's wonderful and people love it and I was wrong all along. Both those things happen all the time. Um, Okay, Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad. I don't want to get too into this one um, too deeply. I think everyone... So, okay. I've heard other interviews with Mark Farner, and uh, he is always a very, very sweet, nice man who sees the world very differently than I do. And sometimes I've heard him be interviewed, and he seems really out there. Really out there. But he's a fascinating character. And so I had already done, we'd had Don Brewer. I always felt like, I already felt like I had told the Grand Funk story. But when his PR people approached me about having Mark on, I thought, you know, we should do this. Mark's a legend in his own right, too. And he could be, this could be Alana Miles' territory here. We, uh, who knows? We'll see. He was such a sweet, good man. Um, he didn't sound crazy, as crazy as I thought he would. But um, I, it, it, he and I just see the world very differently. And uh, I don't want to villainize him for that. I don't want to get into it. But uh, nice guy, but I don't think we're going to go shoot guns together anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I thought he was a really good interview. And there, were, there was some, com- I thought, that, you know, listening to the way the conversation went, there was some, some nice common ground there. Yeah. And he really was appreciative of the good things you said. 
Yeah, I thanks for saying that. I think um, because we had already heard the Grand Funk story, I didn't make him go back and retell all that. Um, and he was promoting a DVD of his own solo shows. He's been out of the band for a while. And so I thought, well, let's just focus on him. If people want to listen to Don and Mark back to back and get the full story, go for it. But um, let's focus on Mark instead. And so that was kind of my approach. And I think he did appreciate not having to go back into all that stuff like he normally does. Anyway, okay. Second to last one here, Daniel Lanois. Another one of my proudest moments that um, I still have not quite recovered from it. It was such a beautiful experience. Um, I aspire to have the seemingly amount of peace and calm that he has in his personality. And um, to be so good at what he does and so tuned in to sound and atmosphere and ambiance and getting the most out of the people he works with, I just am in awe of him. So I've always loved him. And then when he played us that song on the piano, and uh, it was one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard. And I'm watching him on Zoom play a song for me. And uh, I've just never been the same since. It was uh, it changed me. Oh, that that was definitely one of the best things I've listened to this year. Possibly over the whole time of the pandemic. It was fantastic. Yeah, I... Um... It was, I, so cal- it was so calming, so peaceful. Was. Just ah, uh, if people haven't listened to this one yet, they need to go find it and listen to it. That is so worth their time. So it, worth their time. It was gorgeous, and I was a little nervous because um, beforehand, his PR person, who I've gotten to know a little bit, was like, "Look, he mainly wants to just focus on the new album. So could you not go?" Could you not like dwell on the old stuff for too long? And uh, that's tough because he's produced a lot of albums that I love. You know, U2, Robbie Robertson, Peter Gabriel, Willie Nelson, Emmylou Harris. Of course, I want to get into the weeds on these things. And so I'm a little nervous about striking the right balance. But then they send me his new album, and it legitimately is uh, one of the most beautiful things I've heard in a really, really long time. And so talking with him about that album, the gospel music influence and the, the mood of it all um, was, a, was a real joy. I wanted to do that because I loved it so much. And then managed to sprinkle in, you know, little bits of gold about all these other albums and stuff he worked on too. I would have loved to just spend two hours talking about the past with him, but I'm really glad that we got what we got. And uh, I hope... People will listen to the new album of his. It's called Heavy Sun because it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of work. Um, Okay, last up is Stan Bush. So I had wanted to get Stan on here for a long time. I, right around the time that I was trying to get him on, he went on Rock and Roll with BJ and talked Transformers soundtrack. And as people know, I don't really love sloppy seconds. And so when that happens, I kind of lose interest. Like, well, you just told your story to this other guy. I don't want to have to make you tell the same story. That's not that interesting to me. So I held off for a long time. 
Um, then I reached back out. I can't remember if his PR people came to me or I went to them um, and just said, you know, I'm ready to do this. And he was such a sweet guy. It was, I do worry about people like Stan. This is no disrespect to him whatsoever because he was great. There's not, with some people, there's really just one story. There's the one story, you know? And it, if you were, now this didn't happen with John Davis of, Billy Vanilli, but it might have if you talked to Fab or Rob, one of the, the Billy Vanilli, Billy Vanilli guys. How much more is it is there to that story than what we already know? And Stan is that way for me. We know the touch was in Transformers. We know Marky Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg saying it in Boogie Nights. We know that's all funny. Are there other things to hook onto and that we find interesting that are going to add layers to this conversation? Or is it mainly just having you tell that story for the hundredth time? And that was that one fell victim to that a little bit. I tried to get out, get beyond it. Um, I don't know if we got there, but he was such a nice guy, and his music is so much fun that it was fine. Yeah, I actually really liked Stan. I mean, he stuck, you know, over the piece. He stuck to what's worked for him, and he is, you know, he's done okay out of it. Yeah, he has, and um, he, I'm, you know, my fascination with soundtracks, especially 80s soundtracks, I love the people like him or Gerard McMahon or whatever who have you know, careers, long careers, writing songs in that, for that arena. I love stuff like that. So I hope, uh, I and this is not a criticism either, but if you listen to one Stan Bush album and you like it, chances are you're going to like all the others because they all basically sound similar. They all sound like AOR rock from 1987. Heavy guitars, heavy keyboards, uh, slick sounds. It's great. So check out an album of his if you want. If you like it, you're going to like the rest. All right. And I there's, think there's that's... Just, oh, go there's, ahead. There's absolutely nothing wrong with AOR rock from oh. 1987. It's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, man. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, okay, I think that ends the uh, recap of the last three months. Um, everything else came out in, in April. So the next one will, we've got a lot of uh, really good episodes coming up. Like I said, I think I posted this on Facebook. The next like two or three months are full of really fantastic people. Bands you know, or at least songs you know. Interesting story. Even if you don't know them, their stories are usually interesting. Um, I feel really good about what's coming the next few months. You guys are going to love it. So I threw it out there for some listener questions, and I wanted to uh, go through some of these. Some of them apply to both of us, Yan. Some of them are mostly me. A couple of them, uh, definitely I want to hear from you. Uh, Derek Mansfield, our good buddy, Derek, asks, I have a question, though it might not be what you're aiming for here. I wonder if you do the interviews often on Zoom or Skype, and if so, do you have video of the interviews as well that you might one day release, or is it all done through the phone? That's actually a really interesting question. So I think as most people know, for the first probably uh, three years, I used a conference line that my work, that I got through work. So I have like a, it was called a Ready Talk. It's like one of the other, it's like a Zoom, but it didn't have a video portion to it. 
So it would be a conference call that uh, number that my customers could call into, and we could have a conference call, and then I would record it, and I would send the file to Yan, and he'd put it out. So the sound wasn't great on the first couple of years, but it was good enough. Then I was shown how to use Skype, and um, so I bought a microphone and started using Skype. And now, the last year or so, uh, with everybody basically doing Zoom, most of these interviews now are happening on Zoom. Um, quite a few of them are video. I've wondered about this. We've talked about this, Yan, about how do we get um, one of these days when you and I don't have anything better to do, which is never, unfortunately, for us. We got to figure out how to get these interviews on YouTube. Don't you think? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I and would the, like it to be. I would like them to be almost entirely reproduced, though. Like if if I if we put up the interview, whether it's with two, me and the other person talking on Zoom or not, and he's referencing a song, I would want to show like a quick clip from the video, or if they're referencing a funny moment that happened on stage or whatever, utilizing YouTube clips to enhance the the uh, experience of listening to the interview. That would be a ton of work, though. I'm probably way overthinking this. I'm sure it'd be doable. I'd just have to look and see what it would need to be doable. Probably something like uh, Final Cut or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's those things are aspirational. And now there are so many cool YouTube shows out there. I am just, just green with envy. So jealous of all the people that have really big popular shows because that's what I've been trying to do this whole time, and they did it probably better than we did. But anyway, thanks, Derek, for asking. That's the deal. Most of the interviews today happen on Zoom. Some of them on Skype, um, but yeah, most on Zoom. And mo and if we're on Zoom, we're usually we usually both have our cameras on, so but not all the time. Uh, okay, Brian Morris, our good buddy, wants to know. Asked about our interactions meeting guests in person after having them on the show. And this is, you have two of these in our Google Doc that we're working off of. You mentioned Graham from Hipsway. There was also Gerard McMahon. One, for, one of the ones for me was Graham from Hipsway with Andy Summers at just a table away. And so we meet a guest and a listener in the same pub, which was really particularly cool. And then... I can still see that poster in my mind with the sold out shows as we were walking back to the to the car. And and then I get to go see uh, Graham live in the liquid room in Edinburgh. What a show. Absolutely what a show. If Hipsway is ever playing near uh, any of you, you got to go see them. It's worth your, your worth the ticket. Yeah. That happened on that same weekend that I went out there and we went to that concert, which is just adds to why that was one of the best weekends of my life. Yeah, We had and so then, much fun hanging out in there for a couple hours. Yeah, and then I got to see G. Tom Mack in Glasgow at the uh, a, small, a small pub. And he talked about uh, having been willing to do the show, even if there was just a, like, like a couple of people there. There weren't many. I was I was expecting more people than than showed up. 
and a couple of them were the parents of the opener. Oh, that's tough. You know, like family the open. Some of them were family the opener, and it was it was a particularly good show. I mean, I got to meet him and talk to him for just a couple of minutes, but what a nice guy! Absolutely genuine guy, and puts on puts out a great. Uh, great show, great content, and I, again, I, I think you were going to go and meet him and and see his show, and he wasn't able to do it for for whatever reason. But if if right. he reschedules at any time, you got to do it. Yeah, he um yeah he messaged me right after meeting you, and said how great it was to see you, and he was coming here to Denver and playing a. Small, another kind of small bar or club uh, near my house, and I was ready to go. And he canceled the night before, or the day before, because he was having voice problems. And he emailed me directly and apologized for it. And now, you know, there's no shows. And I wonder sometimes if, he, if any, not just him, anyone who uh, I'm not really feeling very well tonight. I think I'd rather skip my concert now that they can't have concerts anymore. I wonder if they regret doing that sometimes because it's uh now there's nothing but anyway i would have liked to have seen him i hope i can if and when oh, that was so, that was so good it yeah. was it really was because it was all stuff based around the lost boys yeah and then last year uh once things you know when things looked like they were doing really well in scotland the numbers were down significantly the drive-in movie theaters were open and right around Halloween, uh, Chris Slemp and I went and saw The Lost Boys. Mm, nice. And so we had that. I had that reference, like, oh yeah, love this, <laughs> love this music. Oh yeah, had had that guy on, had that guy on. Yes. <laughs> I know we've had most of that soundtrack on the show now. Speaking of people we met, I met I met uh, Tim Capello. He came through Denver, also played this little bar. Um, it was so fun, so cute. He's he's just the sweetest guy in the world. He's wearing his muscle shirt and his chains, and he's got the long hair, which is gray now mostly. And afterwards, he comes out and signs pictures, and you can buy bottles of body oil and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I wait in line, and when I, I – he and I also email, and I tell him I'm going to be at the show – but he's so focused on what he's doing, he's not thinking of me. And when it becomes my turn in line, I said, Tim, I'm John Lamoureux. John! And he gets up and gives me this big hug, and we get pictures and everything. He gives me his new CD, and such a sweetheart of a guy. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think. Some of the oh. Bit, some of the, oh, go ahead. And just, just to make sure, anybody, for G. Tom Mack, anybody that meets him, Please make sure you call call him by his proper name, Gerard, not Gerard. It's Gerard. Oh, that's so funny. Because yeah, he goes by G. Tom Mac because no one can get his real name right, which is unfortunate. Um. Anyway, yeah, there have been all. I mean, I've met a few people. Two of the I met uh, when Stu Cook from CCR came through here. Um, they put me on the guest list and. I was able to go in the back and meet him with my wife, and he was really nice. It was just quick. It was nothing too major. We got a picture taken. 
Um, one of the ones, uh, Christopher Thorne of Blind Melon, he came through and I uh, emailed him directly and said, hey, uh, I'm gonna be, you're going to come to town. Can I say hello? Right away responded, yes, absolutely. I'll put you on the, stay afterwards, stand over in this area and I will come talk to you as soon as I'm done. And he did and we chatted for a while. Such a sweet guy. Much shorter than I thought he would be. Really short guy. And, but one of the ones that was most interesting, I can't remember if I've told this story before. So the romantics came through town. And uh, I emailed Wally Palmer's wife, who is friends with Blanche Napoleon, who helped us get Wally on the show in the first place. I emailed his wife and said, hey, you got, they're coming through town. Would it be, could I say hello? And she says, yes, I'll put you on the list. So I'd never been put on a list before. I didn't know what that meant. And uh, I went to the show, and the guy handed me a pass. And I got there early. And this is the thing. I don't know whether you go say hello before the show. It was a, sh they were, uh, it was a double bill. It was the romantics and then the fix. And I didn't know if you went in between or if you went at the end. I didn't know what the deal was. So I've got my pass, and I go in. And I get there early just in case. And I'm asking security people, where am I supposed to go? And they're like, no one really knows. Oh, well, they're in this, they're in that roped off area back there. There was not a dressing room, but there was a curtain around a portion of the backstage area that was, that had been turned into kind of a lounge. There was a TV and couches and they changed their clothes and tables and food and all that kind of stuff. And so I keep asking every security guy that is clo getting closer and closer to that uh, curtained off area. And finally the guy looks at the last guy looks at my pass and he's like, Oh yeah, everyone's behind the curtain. Just go in there and say hi. So I go in and it's after they played before fix goes on. So they have just come off stage and Wally's standing there like without a shirt on. And a couple of the other guys haven't gotten their pants on yet. Cause they just come <laughs> off stage. And, uh, now, Wally doesn't know what I look like. He knows that I'm coming, but he doesn't know who I am, you know? So everyone, when I walk past there, everybody stops and looks at me. You're not supposed to be back here. What are you doing back here? And I was like, whoa, I'm John. I'm the guy from the podcast. And they're like, no, you shouldn't be here. So I leave. And I just feel so stupid and so horrible because I don't know what to do. I've just walked in on them while they're changing their clothes. Um. Eventually, the show ends, the fix is over. I kind of am standing there. I still don't really know what to do. Should I just leave? I think I pissed everybody off. And a, and a security guy comes up to me before I leave, and he says, are you John? Yes. Uh, the Romantics want me to tell you to come go backstage. So I do, and I meet Wally, and I meet the guys, and we get our picture taken, and it's nice. They were totally apologetic. But I, they didn't know, and I didn't know what the proper course this was and come to find out what i'm really bummed about is what i didn't know until later is that the pass they gave me was like an all access pass i could have watched the show from the side of the stage i could have just sat you know how people do that you can see people standing out in the wings watching oh, okay. i could have yeah. been one of those people but i didn't know that so i've always kind of regretted that but anyway that's a long answer to your question brian but that's uh, those are some of the moments 
Uh, let's see here. Steve Poshman, our buddy, wants to know my feelings on the Tower Records documentary. I get asked this a lot, actually, called All Things Must Pass. Um, this is a particularly sensitive issue for me, and I'll tell you why. So, And I may have told this story on here before. I don't remember. So I worked for Tower Records in the early 2000s for about two years, and it was right before they were going out of business. They had already declared bankruptcy. They were trying to work their way out of it. So the people who are in this documentary, many of them I know, or I've worked with, or I saw around the halls or whatever. There's a couple of times in that doc where I can make out my desk or I know the area where they're filming because I can, oh, right out behind that door is where I worked or whatever. It was um, my, my dream job. I had wanted my whole life to work in the music industry. And a friend of a friend was like a director of marketing there and a fellow Mormon guy. And when I heard that, I asked my friend if he would introduce me. And uh, he did. And I just said, look, eventually, if you ever are hiring anybody, I want to come work for you. I'll do anything I have to do. And um, when they were hiring, he called me and I interviewed and I got the job. And I eventually lost the job. I got fired. And it was because I just didn't perform well enough. And now granted, shortly after that, they went out of business. I don't think they were even around. They were maybe around another like eight months or something like that. Maybe more, maybe a year. I don't think it was much more than that. But I've always had a really it's always been a very sensitive issue for me because I failed at this thing that I wanted more than anything in my life. Uh, this was the job that I thought I would be perfect for. I thought I was destined to have. I thought I was meant to have, and I got it, and I didn't work hard enough. And it taught me a real lesson, which I don't, I probably still struggle with this, maybe we all do, that just because you think that you're naturally going to be good at something doesn't mean that you don't still have to work hard. And I had not learned that lesson yet. And so I failed. I, it was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, meticulous detail. You know, you have to know what record label wants, what album on sale and at what price point and for how long. And you have to know the internal system that you input all that information into that tells every store in the world what the cost of the CD is. And you have to be able to set up, you have to put out posters and advertisements and ads with the correct information on it. And I failed at a lot of that stuff. And it was because I just, I kind of thought, Oh, I, I got it. I got the job I wanted. And I kind of took my foot off the, off the accelerator and, uh, I got and it caught me and I failed. I got fired. So watching that, I love that documentary. I've seen it three or four times, but it's a really hard one for me to watch because it just reminds me of the thing where I got the dream came true and I blew it failed and uh so yeah it's hard for me to watch have you ever had that have you ever had a dream come true and it didn't work out yan i've, I've certainly had uh probably my dream job before and i ended up i ended up leaving the leaving the company because they were having financial difficulty and so i took a package and then now now i look back and wonder you know did the did I leave it at the right time? And then now I know that next year they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, probably I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, 
The other thing, too, about watching that documentary that's really hard for me is I just think I wish that I had been born like 20 years earlier so that I could have gotten in to gotten in on the ground floor of Tower Records and just made that my life. Now, I will tell you, one of the things that I know for a fact was difficult for a lot of the people in that movie is getting starting another career. Once you've, it's like being a rock star. I mean, once you've worked in that industry, which has its own very unique culture, in some ways very laid back, in other ways very debaucherous, but in other ways very intense. When you've gr- done nothing but that for 30, 40 years, your ability to adjust and go work some other corporate job is low. So a lot of those people, as great as it is, as much as you watch that movie and you think, I would love that job, I would love to have been in Tower Records in the 70s and all that kind of stuff, so many of those people um, haven't been able to make it work since then because they weren't cut out to do anything else. It's tough. It's not easy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, okay, Alan, who I don't know if I know Alan, he's at Bookies Index on Twitter. You seem to be getting more well-known guests than before, which are just as enjoyable. Uh, just interested is that, oh, he was interested in if, if that is because our listener numbers are increasing. I assume they are, as who could fail to love your pod once you've been turned on to it? Keep up the great work. Thank you, Alan. Um, I don't like to discuss numbers on here, so I don't get very specific about those things. Uh, the reason being is that I never know what other people think a lot of numbers are. So if I said, we have a thousand listeners, do people think, wow, a thousand? Or do they think, I would have thought it'd be way more than a thousand? I never know. So I just don't feed that. And so um, I will tell you, we're still nothing big. I mean, um, we do okay, but we're nothing too, too special. In fact, I was telling... So tell your friends. <laughs> yes, tell the friends. <laughs> I was messaging with Noel Fogelman from Reliving, Our, Reliving My Youth the other day, and we were talking about this topic. And We're coming up on our sixth birthday. And when I started this, I did have one goal um, as far as numbers go. I wanted to... There was a threshold that I had in my mind that I, I want to hit at least this first threshold. Let's hit that, and then let's think about where to go from there. And I will tell you that we probably haven't hit that, even hit that threshold. Um, it's harder than you think. <clears throat> and with more and more podcasts starting up all the time, especially by big-name people, I mean, if, you know, Robert Plant has a podcast now, so... Do you think somebody's going to come talk to me or would they rather talk to Robert Plant? You know, um, I think what has uh, accounted for the bigger names is a couple of things. I think one, um, we just got, we've been lucky to kind of grow um, in, in terms of who comes on the show. And whenever I send out like my feeler emails, I always say, here's a link to the podcast so you can see we're legit probably know a lot of these people if and when they click on those um, and they see oh boy Daniel Lanois uh, Will Sargent uh, Iva Davies goodness Tim Palmer youth whatever it is Melissa Manchester when they see these names they think oh well if those guys did it then sure I'll do it you know and I think 
Um, some of it has to do with PR reps who I've had a few of their clients on and it has gone well. And so they, when I respond to them or reach out to them saying, I want to talk to your client, they give me a chance because they know I've done well with others. But uh, no, in general, I mean, we're not, we, we do okay, but we're not, we're nothing huge. You know, um, that's the fact. Now, if you look, if you look at that though, over the piece since we started, now this is just going to be on on our Podbean feed. We are right at about six hundred and fourteen thousand downloads. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a ton. Uh, yeah. If you spread that over six years, that's a hundred and something thousand downloads a year. And yeah. you can, you know, you can break that out. You can do your own math on all that if you want. So, um, yeah, we do. And, you know, depending on who the guest is, no offense, but, you know, Stan Bush didn't do as well as Iva Davies did. And uh, James Williamson didn't do as well as Aldo Nova did. But that's just how it goes. You know, some people are more interesting than others, I guess. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the deal. Our buddy Jay Sabluski, he didn't ask directly. He, this was in a comment of his. He was asking about, or he said, I was going to ask you about your first hundred episodes, which I took to mean, do we ever think about bringing back guests who were on the show early on in those first hundred episodes? Um, so I'm, I'm of two minds about this. Number one, I only really want to bring people, I don't bring people back very often if you haven't noticed. And if I do, it's because um, either A, we're going to do a deep dive, which I'm always open for, or some kind of a promo mode. They have something new that they want to promote. We're happy to do that. Um, I don't want to get in the habit of just bringing people back on every time they have something to promote and just have this be like a promotional arm for them. I like the career spanning aspect of what I do. We touch on, we talk about the new thing, of course, but then we tie that in with the rest of the story. That's more interesting to me. And um, so I don't go after people for second interviews unless I feel like there's a lot left on the table. Um, that Having said that, our, yeah, when people find our podcast and they go back and listen to old episodes, I don't know that they go all the way back to the beginning. Um, I'm sure we've gotten better at this, Yan, but I also think there's a lot of good stuff in those first hundred or so episodes that I hope people go back all the way and discover. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I'm content leaving those up to deep dives for now, but uh, we'll see. What do you think? Should we bring people back on more often? So I think what, here's where I think Jay was coming from because of the – it was – uh, in response to something where people were asked about a part two. So I think he was specifically talking about the people from the first hundred episodes, any of them for a part two, if there was any of them that merited a part two. I think you're right. Yeah, there may be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've been very meticulous about how I've wanted to curate this. Um, like, I don't, I used to really like Eddie Trunk's podcast and I don't listen anymore because it feels like he brings back kind of the same people a lot, which is fine. I mean, that's that he's there to help D Snyder promote the new book or album or whatever. I love that. It's totally fine. 
but we're just trying to do something different over here, I think. So if I can have them back on and get new information out of them, but tie it into really unique information like deep dive information or something, then that's more interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, okay, at 80sography, which I don't, 80sography oh, and I go you, back and forth. Before on, you go onto that question, yeah. I certainly think one of the ones that would be cool to to have back on for a, for a deep dive or, or a part two would be uh, Walter. Walter Egan? And uh, no, the other Walter, Walter Ray. Oh, Walter. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I am totally with you on that. I have been meaning to get back in touch with him and see if he would come back on and do a deep dive of that King Swamp album. Because I love that album. And not that many people know about it. And it deserves to be rediscovered. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be wanting to pay, pay him for a copy of his second one. Yes, I don't stuck. know if that even yeah. it's on YouTube, but I don't know that there are even hard copies out there of it. Because I remember him saying that he had he had some copies that he would that he'd stuck that he'd stuck away. I'd be happy to buy one of them. <laughs> Me too. I love him. I got a I, good idea, Yan. I got to get. I've been meaning to do that for a long time. I'll see if he'll come back and do a deep dive with us. Um, okay, eightiesography. Who? I don't know his first name, but we interact with each other a lot on Twitter. And he does such a fantastic podcast, 80sography. He's been doing this super deep, in-depth uh, uh, dive on Tears for Fears lately. And he's bringing on people that I can't get. It's driving me bananas. Because he, has, he got Hugh Padgham recently, who Hugh turned me down a couple years ago. He got Ian Stanley who uh, was a member of Tears for Fears early on and became a producer. And I've never been able to get Ian on. He won't talk to me, but he'll talk to 80sography. So go check out 80sography's podcast because it's great. And then I am so jealous of you. Secondly, he knows that. I tell him that a lot. Okay, what's the question you wanted to ask but chickened out at the last minute? And he says, I do it every time. I can't honestly say that I can think of anything too glaring on that one. You know, which I was, as you asked that, I realized I'm kind of relieved because I don't think I have hardly any of those. There is one part of me that wonders, um, but we, this came up before, Yan, is that when we had Wadi Wachtel on last year, he was so great. And that episode was a blast. There's apparently this, he got in trouble for like kitty porn or something like that once, but it it may have been a mistake or it may not have. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I really was not in the mood to get into that with him. So I didn't. And that's one of the only glaring omissions I can think of is where I think, well, if I'm putting my journalism hat on, which was the intention at the beginning with this podcast, I probably should have asked because that's, I should have, we, we want to understand those kinds of things, but I really didn't want to ruin the mood. And we had such a good conversation about the music that he worked on. And that thing was, that accusation was, uh, I don't believe ever proven anyway. I could be wrong about this. That uh, I just thought, I don't want to go there. I'm not in the mood. So that's well, about the only time. Well, to my mind anyway, for, for that one, I don't think we could have 
brought anything new to that to that angle. Yeah, that's probably been done to death so many times elsewhere, and so I really, I really didn't see that we could have brought anything new to that specific yeah. to that specifically. So for me, I'm glad you didn't yeah. go there. Yeah, me too. Other than but, that, I can't think of anything. What we did do was bring a really good interview about his music and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I uh, There are times when I, you know, like if I, like I was just talking about talking with someone, a legacy artist about their new work, um, where all I really want to do is talk about their old stuff that I love and I don't dwell, I try not to dwell on it entirely out of respect for them. So that's about the only thing. There are times when I maybe wish that I had gone deeper on a nerdy topic like that but otherwise i i stand by pretty much all of our interviews i'm okay with all of them if i forgot it or didn't do it in real time i kind of chose not to because it wasn't wouldn't have been in keeping with the flow of the conversation uh our buddy david not dave gutierrez wants to know is there a guest you have you love musically but just think wouldn't be a good interview conversely who is a guest or band you're not musically fond of but you know would be a fascinating interview. Um, I like this question. I think everyone knows that uh, I love Tim Finn, or uh, Neil Finn, sorry, not Tim Finn, Neil Finn of Crowded House. And I've tried to get Neil on here a couple of times and I always get turned down. And frankly, that's okay with me because I don't, I don't know what I would ask Neil Finn. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could ask, like, what were you thinking when you wrote a certain song or whatever? But that's not that interesting, to be honest. Um, The people that I really want to talk to are the people where I'm baffled by their decisions, or I'm confused, or why did you do that? Or how did you feel when this happened to you? Or something like that. That's more interesting to me. And if I were to have Neil Finn on, I would just be blubberingly loving over him the whole time. I really like your first album. What was that like? You know, I don't, that's not interesting. So there are people like that. Um, Trevor Horn is another one. I obviously love Trevor Horn and I talk to a lot of people about Trevor Horn, but I haven't had Trevor himself on. Um, I would, I'd be totally open to that, but I just, I haven't decided, I haven't found the angle that feels unique enough where if they came on that they would, have the kind of the kind of amazing experience that I would want them to have. So yeah, there's plenty of people like that, honestly. Uh, Johnny Rotten, John Lydon, is seems like the most horrible, wretched interview in the world. But I love him, you know. I mean, or I did before he was a Trump guy. I used to love him, but I just think I don't want to deal with that. It just sounds horrible. Um, another guy is Sean Ryder from the Happy Mondays. I think about that a lot. I love the Happy Mondays and Black Grape. But he just seems impossible to have a decent conversation with. And so I think, forget it. It's not going to bother. I don't want to deal with it. So, yeah, that well, happens think, a lot. I think Johnny, see, I think Johnny Rotten would actually be quite an amusing interview. Really? Yeah, just to corroborate the stuff about him being in that <laughs> studio. And, with and, Nick Lane? Yeah, that was yeah. that was awesome. And them yeah. shutting the door, locking the door, and locking everybody out. Just to hear his side of that. That's true. Um, and 
going back to the previous question, Nick Lane is somebody I would definitely want to have a part two with. Him and Holly Knight are both kind of dangling out there. I need to get back with them and do the part two. We just haven't done it yet. So yeah, that's my thinking on that one. Can you think of anyone? Is there somebody? I know you wanted Matthew Sweet. I've reached out to him a couple of times and didn't hear back, but he was on our friend's uh, Records Revisited podcast recently, so I'm pretty sure I could get him. I just need to do it. Uh, I think I, uh, he would be he would be interesting. He, I mean, I know people that just can't stand him, but I, th- I think he'd be a fascinating oh. interview. He's, he's done quite a bit of collaboration work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him. I need to get him on. I keep thinking about it because I want to. I love him, but I know you do too. And I was like, I got to do this one for Yan, if nothing else. And I just haven't done it yet. Um, who is a guest or band you're not musically fond of, but you know would be a fascinating interview? Well, that's there have been many of those. You know, I'm not the world's biggest Alana Miles fan. I'm not the world's biggest Blind Melon fan. And those are two of our very best episodes ever, I think. So I just go where I can, I sniff out a story, you know, and sometimes I'm right and uh, sometimes I'm wrong, you know, sometimes, and I'm, I've been wrong a lot. And I think, can I make an interesting story here and uh or is there one some of the people that come to mind and these are not knocks on them it's just a matter of whether i got the best out of them like that thor interview from last year another one from last year that i really wanted to be good and i thought was okay but probably wasn't enough for everybody was peter prescott from the mission of burma um i i my goal is always to make do an interview that everybody will love not just fans of that person and i can usually tell afterwards like um I think only the fans are going to care about this one. So, yeah, that happens all the time. I mean, um, I'm open to talking about just about anybody. Uh, let's I, see. Oh, go ahead. And you, you bring up Alana Miles. If people still haven't listened to that one, go do it. <laughs> you will yeah. thank me it'll, later. Yeah, it'll blow your mind. Yeah. 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 It may be much later before you thank me, but you'll thank me later. (laughs) Okay, last question is from our friend Michael Bagford. Uh, This is a great question. If some streaming video service or cable cable TV station wanted you to do a visual version of The Hustle, how would you do it? Would you get big guests or focus on past guests that had great stories but weren't as huge? I love this question. Mike, and uh, it's interesting because, so originally, when I still had kind of stars in my eyes, when I first conceived the podcast, and like I've said many times, the intention originally was to talk to kind of obscure bands, I would fantasize about, well, what if like VH1 Classic or Access TV or one of those cable channels with some music in it, what if we started a show where I went into some random record store and just randomly picked out an out, a record out of a bin. I don't even know who it is. And we filmed this. And the album is, and then whoever, whatever band that album is by, I go track those people down and hear their story. And we could, and it would be obscure people, super obscure. Like, you know, I've never heard of this band. I don't know any of these songs. But whatever happened to the people who put out this record, where are they now? And then film it like Bands Reunited or something like that. 
of Yan and I going around the world or whatever, the country, finding these people, tracking them down and hearing their story. That was kind of where I imagined this might go. But now I don't know, because now I feel like, um, I don't know, I really am trying to be, I'm really trying to rise above from a quality and an interest level perspective with this podcast, uh, just being something you could get from any other interview. Um, I know everyone likes Mark Maron, and I do too. I listen to Mark Maron. If it, if I could be the Mark Maron of music interviews, because frankly, he's not always very good at music interviews. If I could be that guy and have that kind of, those kind of credentials, that would be a, I would love that. So I don't know. Um, it would probably be like I was saying earlier about what a YouTube episode might be, where it's me and the person talking, and every time they, every time they uh, reference a song or a video or a concert or a whatever, we just insert for reference purposes what we're talking about for context, just like we do in the podcast. I don't know. What do you think, Yan? Where do you think this could go? Oh, that's a that's a toughie. Yeah. Um, we certainly, if we're if we get to the point where we're big enough to do that, we <laughs> probably wouldn't, wouldn't be working our day jobs anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But uh, certainly, the YouTube thing could be could be done. It would be a bit more work. Uh, I'm not sure how you would. But in terms of getting the guests, you know, whether we get big guests or focus on past guests, yeah, I mean, probably something of both. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a good point. I forgot to kind of dwell on that. You're right. I mean, I always reference Bono because he's one of the biggest rock stars in the world. I would love to talk to Bono, but Bono, you know, could I give the world the Bono interview they've never heard and always wanted? I don't know. I would try. That's what I aspired to do, but I could probably give you give the world the um, the Alana Miles interview that they didn't know they needed, you know, um, or whatever, you know, something like that. I, or the um, Will Sargent interview that they or the Will know. yes, or the Charlie Midnight interview, or what you know, these people that I think are really great and have done interesting things, but you probably don't know about them yet. I could be that guy, so don't really know. That's a good question, M-Bags. I'm going to have to think about that. If anyone else has ideas about this, let us know. I'm curious, too. I don't know. All right, that's the end of our Q&A. That's pretty much everything, Yan. What do you... Yeah. yeah. Um, Anything I else think, you can think of? No, I think it's, it's been a great quarter and, and to kick that one off with James' addiction. <laughs> what a great start. And it's yeah. just gotten good the whole time. Yeah. And uh, I have enough interviews already done and in the can to last us through the end of July. So anybody that I'm scheduling or coordinating with now is probably not coming out till August. Um, so yeah, there's, and I can just tell you, there's a lot of good ones in the can. There's some that are just okay. There are a lot of really good ones in the can right now. I'm excited about it. And there's some that you think are just okay. That's true. <laughs> that's true i need to get that part out of my head because you always make them sound amazing and inevitably somebody out there loves it and so i um yeah i just have a uh 
I have an idea in my mind of what a perfect episode is like. And um, sometimes we get there and sometimes we don't. And I need to stop thinking like this. So we're going to close it out with a song called Listen for the Starlight by a group called 416. And that's all spelled out. 416. This song right here is a smash. This song is Sometimes you can tell when it's the guy who plays in the coffee shop and he's the guy making a CD and you listen to the music and you think, yeah, that sounds about like a guy who's not a professional making a CD from the coffee shop. This is, this sounds like it's got now Rogers playing guitar. It should play, be booming out of every radio in the world, in every car, everywhere. Trust me on this. It is one of the greatest, it's such a great song, and it happens to be one by an indie band that not very many people know. The front man is our buddy Brent Lunny. Uh, I interact with him sometimes. He's so great. And uh, he was kind enough to send me his music. Thank you, Brent. And uh, 416 is the band. Listen for the Starlight is the song. Buy this. Listen to it, if nothing else. The song is a hit, a huge hit in my mind. All right. Soundtrack.